unless Eddie has something that he wants to add in regard to the Holy Spirit part uh, tonight, then we'll, uh, we'll move on from that. Uh, I, I do want to simply say again in verses 38 and 39 where we're talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a complicated uh, study from the Word of God. And so you've seen that from the studies that we've had over the past two or three weeks. And I encourage you to go ahead and study even more. That's the, uh, that's the key. That's what all of us want to do for every aspect of God's Word, not just one, but in every aspect of God's Word. I've spent many, many years studying, and uh, every time I study, it seems like I learn something new. And so you, you can't continue to study the Word of God without finding out a little bit more, putting two details together and say, hey, that's where this piece of the puzzle fits together. And so, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's designed to be a book that we can continue to study for an entire lifetime and still never get everything that the Lord has packed into it out of it. And so I encourage you to do just that. Let's move on to verse number 40 tonight. And that's where we'll spend the majority of our time as we talk about it. Uh, This is coming to the end of the sermon that Peter has preached. It's still the day of Pentecost, of course, that we have been dealing with throughout Acts chapter number 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and uh, the the comments that were made uh, in regard to what was happening. Then Peter and the other apostles began to preach, preach Christ. And so we're coming now to the end of that. And he says in verse number 40, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now let's break that down a little bit and talk about it tonight. There are several things that I want us to to catch and uh, that I want us to see here from this that hopefully will strengthen us and increase our knowledge of the Word of God. Let's begin, uh, again, what we like to do is, is break these things down, but let's begin with the part of it that says he bore witness. He bore witness. The word translated bore witness uh, means to be emphatic in stating an opinion or desire, literally to insist, but it has a foundation point Uh, of being a serious declaration on the basis of presumed presumed personal knowledge. And so you may read from some translations, it said he testified to them, but it means more than just what a witness would do. It would involve what a witness would do in a court case, but uh, there's more to it than that he is he is making a case he he is bearing witness but it's based upon his personal observation now if we go back and we think about what an apostle is and of course Peter is an apostle and these other men who were speaking on that day they were apostles if we go back to Acts chapter 1 what's what's uh, what are some of the requirements that had to be met in order for Matthias if you will to be added to the number of the 12, the 11, uh, there. What, what were some of the things that you remember from there? What did he have to do? What was the requirement? Do you remember? He, he had to have accompanied with them from John's baptism. And so for him to be able to be bearing witness on that day like Peter was, and remember the other 11 were told were doing that as well, 
The word used indicates that he is insisting based upon what he has seen, his own personal observation. And so he bore witness to those things. Now, let's look at a couple of passages, and, and it's interesting to me. Uh, it's not always translated to, 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 uh, uh, to bear witness or so forth. Go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 16. And let's read together verses 27 and 28. Luke 16, verses 27 and 28. Before you even get there, what are we going to be reading about in Luke 16? Anybody remember? This is like our little children's class, you know, where we have the things that are there. What's the story that we find in Luke 16? Rich man and Lazarus, right. Okay, so rich man dies, Lazarus dies, Lazarus finds himself in the bosom of Abraham, rich man finds himself in torment, okay? And what does he beg for? What does he plead? Look at verses 27 and 28. Somebody read that. And he said, And I beg the Father that you send, my, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Okay, this is the rich man who is speaking. Of course, he's speaking to Abraham. He said, uh, uh, I want to let him, who's he talking about with a him? Well, that's Lazarus. I want to let Lazarus go back. Why? I've got five brothers. And what's the purpose that he wants Lazarus to go back to the five brothers? I want him to warn them. That's an interesting thing that he says there because that's the same word that we have used over here in the book of Acts. What was Lazarus going to be able to do in talking to those five brothers? They likely would have known that he was dead, and if he came back and he tells them what their rich brother said, you know, he, at least the rich man was convinced that he would listen, or they would listen to him based on his firsthand observation and his knowledge. And so it's translated warn in this place, okay? And so it's just interesting to me, you know, when you start putting these, these kinds of things together, uh, there are other words that could be used in regard to that, but what Peter was doing on that day and bearing witness is that he was giving a warning, he was insisting, again, the meaning of the word, based on personal observation, Okay? And so he had seen what Jesus had done. He had known when Jesus was crucified. He had seen him when he was resurrected. He watched as he ascended back into heaven. He could talk about all of these different things. And so he bore witness in regard to that. Now, here, this is just my curiosity. Okay? And with many other words, he bore witness to them. I wonder what he testified, bore witness, warned, or insisted about. You ever thought about that? We'll come back to the many other words. I just wonder what those words were. I wonder what he talked about. Now, I think I understand what, what he, the point that he's making, because he's been making that point from the very beginning, has he not? When we, when we think about it, we've summed, summed it up in this way. You killed him. 
God raised him, and God also made him, this is verse 36, to be what? Both Lord and Christ. Peter's still insisting upon that. He is, that's his argument. That's what he's warning them about. Okay? But I wonder what his other words were. There are a lot more prophecies. Yeah, from the Old Testament. Yeah. I wonder if Peter talked about some of the events that he observed. If this word means observation, you know, based on his observation. I wonder if he reminded them, do y'all remember back on, you know, such and such a time, we could go to, say, John chapter 2, some of you may have heard about him changing water into wine. Or do you remember that day when that man who couldn't see had, had been born blind? Do y'all remember that day when... Jesus made him able to see. You know, and the events that surround... I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. But here is my point. The words that have been recorded for us are enough for us to know in order to have salvation. We can be curious about what the rest of the sermon was, all we want to. But by inspiration, Luke has written down all that we need to know in order to find our salvation. Okay? And so, you know, there, there are other passages that we go through in the rest of God's Word that we mesh together based on, uh, uh, you know, common sense and, and, and understanding, you know, interpretation of the Word of God. We can put those things together. If one apostle's talking about one thing and, and another t- apostle talks about that same thing or another inspired writer of the New Testament talks about that same thing, then we're getting the totality of the Word of God. But the point is here, Luke has given us Everything we needed to know about the day of Pentecost. Okay? He just summed it up and said many other words. He said to them, and as much as I'd like to have that sermon, as much as I'd like to know the rest of those points, as much as I'd like to have it so I could preach it sometime, you know, I've got all I need to know. And that's the way God is. And so it's just interesting, again, to me, as I look and I began to think about these things that the Bible says, you know, that, that He has given us everything that we need to know. Okay? So with many other words, He bore witness and did something else. What did He do? He continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves. Let's focus on that for just a minute or two tonight. He's saying, save yourselves. How can a person save himself? Through obedience. Okay. Uh, as you look at it, you know, we, we understand that a person, you know, if we continue reading through the rest of the Bible, uh, we understand that there's obedience that's involved, but... 
This particular phrase is a pretty interesting phrase. Okay? If we were looking at this from the original, and, and, and y'all understand, if I, if I mention these different Greek tenses and things like that, that there's no test on that, but it just, if I don't illustrate it and bring it out, then we'll miss a point that Peter is making here, or rather Luke is making for us. And so, as we look at it, when he says that Peter said, save yourselves, that phrase is an arist, A-O-R-I-S-T, which means that it is... Uh, Undefined or momentary action, okay? Uh, we don't know uh, the, the time or the... Every, that, that particular part doesn't tell us the time, or, but it does say that it's an action that happened, a momentary action, undefined and momentary. But this next part is really what's interesting. In the original, it is a passive verb. When we start talking about a passive verb, what would be the opposite of that? Active. But when we talk about a passive, what's the difference between an active verb and a passive verb? One moves and the other one doesn't. Do what? One moves and the other one doesn't. One, one is an action of a person that he actually is doing, and the other is an action that is being done to or for him, right? But this is a passive. You may be sitting there saying, I'm lost. Well, let's go to the next word or next part of it. Not only is it aorist and passive, but it's also an imperative. If something is imperative, what does that mean? It is a command. That's actually the, the definition of the imperative mood. It is a command. Okay? Now, wait a minute. We've got something that's to happen at some time, but it's to happen to these people, but it's a command? The point is... Whatever it is that is commanded, it would be something like this. They, were, they had a responsibility, but they were to allow themselves to be saved. They're to allow themselves to be saved. Now that doesn't take away their part in obedience that somebody mentioned a while ago. They have to allow themselves to be saved. That's what Peter is begging them to do right here. Allow yourself to be saved. Now, again, you might ask, how could they, uh, they couldn't literally save themselves, but how could they allow themselves to be saved? Well, their faith must move them to allow God to save them through His plan. Now, what has Peter just talked about in verse 38? Repent and be baptized. Yes, they had to be obedient to that. But they had to allow themselves, they had to allow their faith to move them to be obedient to God. 
You see, somebody who just dipped in the water, does that save them? Is it, let me ask it this way. Is that baptism in the strict sense of the word baptism? Sure. I mean, if you've been swimming with somebody and somebody pulled you under, you've been baptized. Right? If you were, if you were, Speaking the Greek language back in that day, and somebody pulled you under, yeah, you've been baptized. In the water. Yeah, in the water. But were you baptized for the purpose that Peter, that Jesus talked about? If your good friend just pulled you under one day, have you been baptized for the reason that God demands in His Word? No. And so, what have you got to do? You've got to allow God to save you. Okay? If there's any person who is lost on the day of judgment, whose fault is it? Why is it their fault? Did God do everything that was necessary in order for them to be saved? The only thing that they refused to do was allow themselves to be saved by His plan. Are there those today who would argue against, we'll just take in this context the concept of baptism for the remission of sin. Are there those today who would, who would argue, well, you know, I, I just don't believe that we have to be baptized in order to have remission of sins. And so they refuse to do that. What have they done? That is contrary to verse number 40. They did not allow God to save them. They didn't follow the command to let God or allow themselves to be saved. You know, uh, uh, a lot of times when we preach about God, uh, we seem to preach that God is always angry. And, and at sin, does God become angry? Yes. But at the very heart of God, what is He? John said He's the God of love. God is love. And God so loved the world that He did what? Sent his son for what purpose? And how many people does God want to be lost according to what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9? And yet there are a lot of people, the majority of people out in the world, who will not allow themselves to be saved. They won't humble themselves to the commands that Jesus, God, has given them in His Word. They won't humble themselves to live in, in harmony with the Word of God. They won't allow themselves to be saved. I, I don't know, but I think that's even more powerful than the way it's actually translated in a lot of the translations to Savior. Yes, it's a command, and they have responsibility, but it's a passive command. Or passive in the sense that they have something that is being done to them. They're commanded to allow that to happen to themselves. Now, there's a lot of things that we could deal with tonight in that regard. There are those who uh, 
speak about universal salvation. They're called universalists. Jesus died for us and therefore everybody's going to be saved. What does this passage do to that doctrine? Just because Jesus died that everybody's going to be saved? No matter what you do, how you act, what you say? Uh, I would say this passage destroys that concept. You must allow yourself to be saved by being obedient. And again, we prefaced our thoughts with that, uh, that, that concept. And so it's translated save yourselves, but we need to understand a little bit more in detail uh, what, what uh, Luke, the Holy Spirit, is trying to impress upon us as Christians. Okay? Now with that in mind, I want to skip down. We won't talk about all of verse 47, but uh, I want you to look at verse number 47 for just a moment tonight. We'll go back and pick up again in a minute. But praising God and having favor with all the people, and this is the English Standard translation of it, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now how many of us grew up on, as Brother Hugo McCord used to say it on our mama's Bible, the King James Version? What does the King James Version, how does it read? Anybody have? Do what? Should be saved. I remember growing up, and since that time as well, I've heard discussions among folks who said, you know, the the denominational world talks about people being saved. And if we translate it or we read it like that, like it's, you know, we're just agreeing with them. No. Because verse 40 teaches something completely different. Well, the, actually the entire chapter the, and the rest of the Bible teaches different than a lot of the things that are taught. But praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were, what's the wording? Being saved. What did we say about verse 40? that they had to do? What was the command, the literal command for them to do? Allow themselves to be saved. Right? And so that's what was happening. Now, let me just go ahead while we're here and let's, let's comprehend something else in regard to, to both passages, okay? Just because it is said that they're being saved, does that automatically point to the future and say that they're saved and they can never be lost? That's the, that's the denominational concept of getting saved, isn't it? And so it's not automatically pointing to the, to the future but where rather is it pointing? What did, what did they need to be saved from? Yeah, we need to be saved from our sin. What did Peter offer them in uh, verse 38? Repent and be baptized every one of you for which sins? 
Once you've committed to that point, your past sins. Okay? And so this is not the only passage in the Bible that, that is used in this way. Go to Titus chapter 3 and let's look at verses 4 and 5. Titus 3 verses 4 and 5. Okay, whoever has that, go ahead and read it for us. Okay, let's just briefly break that down tonight. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, what did He do? Did He say He will save us? No, He saved us. Now again, we're not contending for, you know, once saved, always saved, because there's too much in Scripture that deletes all of that, but He saved us from what? Our past sins. Now, by the way, when Paul is writing about how that God saved us, how does he say that happened? By, down in verse uh, uh, 5. It was through His mercy, okay, and... Two other things that he mentions there. By the washing of regeneration. What is that? Same thing as... Same thing as Acts chapter 2, isn't it? And yeah. John 3 and 5. And John 3 and 5, which adds the part of the... Uh, uh, when he tells Nicodemus that he is to be uh, born again... Nicodemus basically wants to know how, how that can happen. He, and Jesus says what? Born of water and the Spirit. Okay? And so there's a sense in which the Bible talks about our salvation from past sins. Okay? Not that, not that we're once saved and always will be. Now we all know and we understand that the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse us of our sins, 1 John, contingent upon what? If we walk in the light, if we continue to be obedient, then His blood continues to cleanse us from our sins. There are other passages. Somebody look at 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 and 9. 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 and 9. And we'll just notice these real quick. First one, get there. Go ahead and start reading for us. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Okay. So what did he do based upon our topic tonight, what we're talking about? He who, who saved us, okay? Of course, that was through Jesus Christ, which points us back to Acts chapter 2. You killed him, God raised him, and God made him both Lord and Christ, okay? Two other passages. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at verse 5. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 5. By grace you, what? Will be saved? Have been saved. Saved from what? In this passage. From our trespasses. Or, what's another way of saying trespasses? From our sins. Our sins are washed away. They're gone. Look at verse 8. Ephesians 2 verse 8. Okay, now let's establish what we're talking about. You have been saved, right? Not you will be saved, you have been saved. Now this is still in the same context of being saved from our trespasses, okay? That's three verses above that. But look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. Okay? Is that any different than what Peter is teaching in Acts chapter 2? What does verse number 40 say about their salvation? They must, uh, what's the command? Allow themselves to be saved. They're commanded to allow themselves. We're commanded to allow ourselves to be saved. Okay? Who does that for us? That is God's grace, is it not? Okay? But he says, by grace you have been saved through... Whose part is the faith part? That's us allowing God through His plan to save us. Right? There's nothing that I can do to earn my salvation, right? When Peter says to save yourselves, he's not saying you can earn it. Salvation always comes by the grace of God through faith. And so all of the Bible, all of the New Testament harmonizes with what we're saying here. Uh, actually, what Peter said, we're just repeating it uh, here in Acts chapter uh, number 2 at verse number 40. Okay? Alright? Uh, here's an interesting thing. We're about to run out of time. Let's just stay there for a second. He exhorted uh, with many other words. He bore witness and continued to exhort. I like the way that the uh, English Standard translates it here. It's in the imperfect tense, which simply means this. Repeated or continuous, uh, continuous action in the past. Perfect tense is you continue to do it in the future. Imperfect was Peter continued and uh, continued action. In other words, let me just put it this way. Peter kept on imploring them to be saved. He kept on asking them, insisting on them, begging them, if you will, to allow God, allow themselves to let God save them. You know, sometimes, and I know I'm not talking to a bunch of preachers tonight, but I am talking to a bunch of folks who listen to preachers. You know, a lot of times we think that if the preacher offers one invitation and nobody responds to that invitation, 
then we just ought to shut up and go home, right? How many of you are old enough to remember in the old days, especially during gospel meetings, something that happened during the invitation song? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The preacher would stop the one who's leading the song and do what? He would do exactly what Peter is doing. He continued to exhort them, to exhort us, to save yourself. Now, I'm not saying that Peter stopped the song leader. That's not exactly what we're reading here. But over and over and over, he implored them. He insisted. He begged them, if you will, to allow themselves to be saved by God. Okay? Okay? Now, save yourselves from what? And this will close out with this. This crooked generation. Set yourself apart from this crooked generation. One last foreign word tonight. Okay? The word crooked. How many of you, again, I don't know if they still do this or not, how many of you remember in school when maybe in a locker room or something, coach or someone had you to sort of bend forward and, and somebody had run their finger down your spine kind of thing? What were they looking for? Somebody said it back there? Scoliosis. Okay. Scoliosis simply means what? Uh, a crooked spine. A uh, uh, Here's the definition. The abnormal spinal curvature that results from malformations or disorders of the brain, the brain stem, the spinal cord, or muscular systems. But in other words, you got a crooked spine. Anybody want to know what the word that's used here is? Scolios. Which comes from the word scolios. From which we get our medical term... Scoliosis. In other words, these people had, there was an entire generation of people that were scolios. They were crooked. Now, if you've got a crooked spine, that's not, that's not a good thing, is it? You, you, I mean, you, you, you don't want that. That's not something that, you, that you're after. And in this case, you don't want a crooked generation. You want to be set apart from that. You want to be saved from, allow God to save you from that crooked generation because what's going to happen to that crooked generation if they continue in their path and you follow along with them? What's going to happen? They're going to be lost. And so to follow along with that crowd was not a good crowd to follow along with. And he's begging them to allow themselves to be saved by God from that scolios generation. All right. We are past time, so we need to ring.